0: we're here today to talk about what's really happening behind the scenes at our grocery stores right now right this instant and to do that we are here with jeremy naren grocery key ceo and as i said on linkedin this morning my hair and beard styling mentor why don't you give us a little background about you your experience in grocery and then specifically grocery key what it is and what it does
1: absolutely um so first off thanks for having me guys um Looking forward to the chat today. Um, So I've been in e-commerce grocery for about 15 years. Uh, Prior to starting Grocery Key, I ran an on-demand grocery delivery service in Madison, Wisconsin for roughly a decade. Um, We decided to to pivot and become a B2B software company, Uh, and we now license our software to roughly a dozen uh, independent and regional grocery chains throughout the U.S. and Canada. Um and one chain in particular. Um throughout Wisconsin and Illinois, we actually handle the fulfillment as well. So we um, you know, live and breathe the operational side of the e-commerce business every single day. And um, you know, obviously we're exposed to quite a bit given all that's going on with COVID right now as a result of that.
0: Yeah, so maybe we start there. So it's it's you know, as you just gave the overview of kind of, of what grocery key does, explain pre-business pre-COVID, I should say. Uh, what was a day in the life like at Grocery Key and maybe now post-COVID, how have things changed? Yeah, so I would say
1: actually very similar. It's just now many things have accelerated. <laughs> um, a little added urgency, but um, you know, we, we deal with clients that are licensing our software and operating the business themselves, in which case it's largely around how can we support their needs in terms of just making the best use of our technology um, you know to power you know a great user experience on the front end and an efficient fulfillment experience on the back end um, really that straightforward for you know our various clients that are licensing our software um, and then for woodman 's this large chain that we handle the operation for throughout Wisconsin and Illinois, um, we have roughly four hundred staff spread across eighteen of their stores and these are grocery key w two employees um, that are fulfilling orders every single day. Um, You know, prior to to COVID, I mean, it was, um, you know, close to a thousand orders a day in some cases. And now we're surpassing that in many cases. Um, So, you know, pretty large order volume and, you know, really, um, you know, our relationship, um, you know, with with Woodman's covers the gamut of, you know, the, the same needs of the retailers that license our software all the way to how our staff are interacting with their staff. Um, and interfacing with at the end of the day their customers because we are representing their brand mm-hmm. um, when we fulfill e-commerce transactions.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's an interesting dichotomy right now too. I've been thinking a lot about that uh, just in the marketplace right now the just the relationships between doing what your customers customers need and then also doing what your employees need as well. and you mm-hmm. guys sit in a unique position in there in terms of in some ways, you almost are a default employee for some of the companies you're working with, and then you also, as you said, have your own employees that are helping with this too. Let's, let's start on the, on the business side, you know, in terms of where the software is being licensing or being licensed, excuse me, what, like what's happened? Like when, when all this broke, what Did you get a call from retailers saying, okay, we're putting a lot more resources on this, you know, are you seeing the business increase and to what degree, any specific product categories? I think people are just thirsty to kind of know you know, how all of that's transpiring in in terms of, and anything you can share, I think is helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, I mean, just to simplify the challenges with e-commerce are not all that dissimilar with the challenges in the store. I mean, the things that we're seeing across all of our retailers is you have, um, you know, you have increased out of stocks, um, you have to implement, you know, max quantities on high demand items. Um, You have increased demand and you have labor shortages. And how do you deal with all of these complexities when, you know, volume surges 50% or maybe even 10x, uh, which we've seen in the case of of a few retailers, and you all of a sudden have 30% less labor because some staff are not, uh, you know, comfortable coming into work, understandably so. How do you solve for that? I mean, that is kind of the the root of the challenge. And again, I don't think that that's necessarily unique to e commerce. Um, I'm sure every retailer is experiencing similar pain in store.
2: What are you guys doing, Jeremy, right now? Like, what's how are you approaching that and trying to get people or trying to find coverage? Like, how have you guys approached that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's really been trial by fire, as you can imagine. I don't think any of us saw a global pandemic coming. Um, It's really hard to plan for it. So, you kind of, you figure a lot of things out on the fly, but some things that we've experimented with, with some level of success, is um, spreading out our fulfillment slots over a broader time horizon, um, okay. so that what we does that can. Mean? Um, so you know, rather than maybe concentrating um, availability, um, you know, at, at various times, spreading it out evenly throughout the day, because hmm. areas that previously were high demand, such as you know, I'll just use a really broad example, sure. four to four to seven p.m. Is going to be a high demand area for both pickup and delivery because people previously were getting off of work. Right. Well, now everyone's home. The you know our our common schedules have been totally blown up. Mm-hmm. So um, and people just want to get orders in. Um, you know, there's such a surge in demand, people will take whatever you can get. Mm-hmm. So spreading um, slot capacity out more evenly across the day, um, we found has made it at least the, the challenge less burdensome on our staff. It doesn't solve it, but as an example of something that we've kind of experimented with on the fly with some level of success.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, naturally we're trying to hire as many people as we can from other industries, you know, bars and restaurants being probably the best example mm. of industries that have shut down overnight um, to make up for the staff <coughs> that we've lost, um, you know, that we previously relied upon. Um, you know, we have had to ratchet back capacity. Um, to make sure we can fulfill demand in some locations, um, and I would say those are examples. You know, a few other things that you know might come to me as the conversation comes along, but those are the things that immediately stick out to me that we've tried to do really just to be supportive of. You know, we kind of have to balance supporting our staff with balancing the cost, you know, the needs of the customer.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's probably how I'd love to approach this conversation too. Let's just have a, a conversation both with you and then anyone that has questions online. Again, you can submit that through the online chat in zoom and let's just see how we can educate ourselves based on, you know, what you're seeing out there. A lot of questions for me, you know, already coming off what you just said, I'm curious, are you seeing increases in order sizes too per customer than what you typically, you know, we're traditionally seeing in e-commerce? How's that playing out? Um, so yes and no. Outer okay.
1: stocks, as I mentioned, are at like an all time high. Mm.
0: So what's ultimately fulfilled actually
1: comes in um, a notch lower than what we were previously seeing. Okay. Um, but yeah, volume is, of course, through the roof. So uh, just in terms of number of orders placed, huge surge uh, in terms of basket size, actually slightly down primarily as a result of
0: out-of-stocks. Because of out-of-stocks. But had they be in stock, they'd probably be larger too. So there is a little bit Without of, the, a doubt. of the load going on. Yeah.
1: So I think as a consumer, um, behavior has now shifted into greater frequency, knowing that each order is going to have a, a huge amount of out-of-stocks.
2: Jeremy, yeah. we have a question from the audience um they're asking as they're uh as you as customers are experiencing more out of stocks, are you finding that they're trading uh for other things that are new to them like are they going for the organic ketchup mm. that's available versus the non organic ketchup that they're typically used to buying the heinz ketchup
1: for sure, I think there's definitely greater flexibility and i mean other categories you can imagine things like uh you know, toilet paper. I think people will take whatever is in stock on that given day. <laughs> They're not so, getting picky
2: on that. Yeah, one, the,
1: the, the the Charmin soft tissue. Maybe you know <laughs> if that's not available, we can make a concession under these circumstances. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, just of- just this once. <laughs> um, <laughs> just this once. When, when yes.
0: did when did you start to? I'm curious because you know there's been a lot of questions of like when did different people start preparing for this? We saw. I saw, Jan and I were talking this morning, we saw reports that HEB was prepping for this as early as when things started to break in China, looking at, you know, what were the things people were ordering over there and what impact that could have on their inventory and their out of stocks. Um, and their out of stock rates are reportedly pretty high too and have been seemingly um, getting kudos from a lot of people in the industry in terms of how they're handling this. When did you start to see people communicate just now in general, not any, not specific to any customers, but when did you start to see the communication really ramp up on this out of curiosity? Um,
1: yeah, I would say we were, you know, just like maybe our response uh, as a whole, as a country, I think, um, you know, as an industry, the response has been very reactive rather than proactive. Um, and I, I would say, you know, the day following Trump's kind of initial speech, of, you know, this is a real thing. We need to take it seriously. That's when we saw like an immediate surge in in demand. Um, So I think that was what, roughly three weeks ago. Yeah, three
0: weeks ago from today, Um, right? And it's just, yeah,
1: it's been nonstop ever since. Yeah, actually, I think it was exactly three weeks ago, if I recall correctly. It was on a Wednesday evening. So um, starting that Thursday morning, um, you know, slots started filling, you know, from what I'm seeing across many of our retailers and, you know, even the likes of, you know, Amazon for that matter um, for weeks in advance. Um, it's just been, it's been total mayhem ever since then.
0: So based on your knowledge, I'm curious in in your position, seeing this all now, you know, really close to the ground, you know, they talk now about there's going to be, it's probably, I think they said yesterday, like the next two weeks are going to be, uh, for lack of a better word, harrowing. Things Mm -hmm. are going to continue to pick up in terms of the number of cases, possibly even the number of deaths. Um, how do you, what impact do you think that's going to have in terms of, overall the food supply chain, you know, how people continue to buy and purchase food. This is, I know it's been a topic on our minds for some time. What, what's your take on how the next say four to eight weeks transpire? What can we expect? Um, yeah, I mean, I would
1: say expect the unexpected because that's basically been the case with each passing week. I mean, there's a lot going on, you know, in terms of, you know, stimulus, stimulus packages and, um, you know employee leave and things like that that I think are going to have a pretty profound impact on labor availability, okay. which will then have an impact on um, slot capacity uh, availability within each retailer because ultimately you can only fulfill um, what's possible with you know the appropriate labor resources on hand and that that affects supply chain as well um, yeah. so to me that's really where I think we're gonna there's the most uncertainty. Um, but things are so fluid that it's literally changing day by day in terms of what, what to expect over the next week.
0: And what types of things are you thinking about or advice you give to other people to try to get ahead of that labor uncertainty specifically?
1: I think ultimately you have to turn on every, you know, kind of piece of recruiting ammunition you have. And, um, you know, try to recruit from other industries where you know people have lost their jobs overnight and are eager to get back to work, um, and maybe take a position that previously wouldn't have interested them. But um, you know, in terms of what we're doing, in many ways, you know, these these what these people are doing in the stores is, is kind of heroic. Um, you know, I mean, they're considered emergency workers now for a reason. Um, people need food, and many people are not able to make it to the store or um, have underlying conditions and um, you know, are at high risk uh, if they come in store. So even a pickup can be, you know, it can be life-changing for them. And so I think framing the position in that light, it adds deeper meaning than it would have three weeks ago. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a huge, you know, huge labor pool to recruit from um, that previously was not as, uh, not available as well.
0: How long does it take to get somebody up to speed then? Say that's coming from, I think you mentioned the bar and the restaurant industry. How, I mean, how, how long are we talking to get them up to speed on you know, either the picking side or, you know, the delivery side?
1: Well, so, I mean, we pride ourselves on having an intuitive picking application, you know, that someone could pick up and start using out of the gate. Naturally, you become more and more efficient uh, over a time horizon. Um, But in theory, we can send people to, you know, pick orders within the same day they've started. Uh, Naturally, they're going to be less efficient. They're going to make more mistakes, um, but they can make an impact right out of the gate as well.
2: Got it. Got it.
1: Do you and any answer? questions from I, the group
2: i do i have a question from uh graham graham wants to know how your one of your clients woodman's is holding up in light of the huge increases that uh, are are happening in online grocery uh, across their store footprint in wisconsin if you can comment on that
1: sure yeah so i mean all things considered uh, i think they're holding up very well um, i think they're actually uniquely positioned in a favorable way given the sheer size of their stores um, in their back rooms. Um, in many ways they're always prepared to handle on or to to take on a lot more order volume. Um, you know give more background on that, Jeremy. Yeah, what yeah, yeah, what
0: specifically makes a woodsman's unique? Yeah. So their stores
1: are approximately two hundred and fifty thousand square feet. So to put that into context, it's about wow. twice the size of a Sam's Club. Um, and in many cases they have back rooms that are a hundred thousand square feet alone. Um, and, and they are, you know, supplying Um, You know, they have a very unique supply chain and distribution model where, um, you know, they'll stock in many cases, you know, 90 days or more of inventory in their back rooms and supply kind of their whole region of stores. So I think they were, you know, again, very uniquely well positioned to take this on. Um, But everyone obviously is experiencing some amount of challenge and pain and, and they're not totally immune to that. But we are seeing some of the challenges really taper off day by day, you know, fewer out of stocks, um, shelves are starting to fill in, they're able to get their feet underneath them and kind of react to this, you know, this seemingly crazy event that we've, that we've all taken on.
2: Jeremy, how would you contrast that with like a larger, more like a national retailer or what you may, may or may not know about that right now?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would think that in many ways it would be far more challenging, um, for retailers that have maybe handled their inventory, um, in a more automated fashion, um, you know, based on how they replenish, um, an event like this, I would think instinctively would not bode well for them because they'd basically
0: have to tear up all of their, um, you know, previous practices. Right. Explain um, explain that more. Well, yeah, what do you mean there? So that if things are just algorithmic and just on automated routines from an ordering standpoint, it's it's not gonna be able to know what to do with this just like one time exogenous event. Is that is that kind of what you're presumably, saying? Presumably.
1: I mean, okay. I'm not as I'm not and by no means a supply chain expert. Um, and I mean, Chris, you probably know know this topic far more than me, but I would assume if you're you know, if you're dealing with some sort of automated replenishment system, you basically have to tear out all of your best practices previously. And reform
0: them. Yeah, it's a really good point. I've never thought about that. I mean, yeah, it's kind of the equivalent of like, you know, you're going to run a big Sunday circular advertisement and there's going to be this huge surge in demand and you have to probably do some manipulation in the system to get prepared for that. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens, you've got to probably re-manipulate the system so that you don't necessarily assume that's always happening too. But in this case, in this case, you've got that happening on both sides of the equation. I hadn't thought about it. that. It's a really good point. So you've got to be that's going to take a lot of man hours then to probably look through everything that's going on and make sure that you're still prioritizing everything in the right way. So that's going to be a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of hard yeah. run work. Those people are probably working really hard, man. If they're listening to this, my heart goes out to them because that, that ain't easy. That's a lot
1: of work. Absolutely. And I would think greater dependency on, you know, at the store level, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, just convey what's going on there. And, um, you know, again, just tearing out the way they operated previously and operating perhaps in a more manual fashion, um, and needing to be somewhat reactive.
0: Yeah. What actually I'm curious, what insights do you have there too? Like how, um, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that too, but with the, with the degree of out of stocks, I mean, I think HBs was pushing 22%. They said targets weren't far behind in some of the reports I was reading, for like all the activity that's happening with curbside and buy online pickup in store, what types of complexities does that add to things? I have to think your your confidence intervals for being able to provide those types of services are much less than they were before.
1: Yeah, so I think the biggest challenges end up being, um, I mean, we've talked about labor, but also um, you know space allocation. Okay. Um, you know, when you look at the staging areas in most brick and mortar stores for e-commerce fulfillment, they're pretty small. Um, so if if you, even you actually exist, right. Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Some retailers don't even have them. It might be a shelf at the front of the store. So, right. um, you know, in the most extreme circumstances, I mean, you see a five X surge in demand overnight. Um, you're going to have to get pretty creative to be able to stage that product in a manner where, um, you know, you're, you know, complying to food safety laws and you see, you know, just have enough sheer space to, uh, you know, to stage those orders until the customers come to pick them up or until it's, you know, sent out through a third party delivery service.
0: Yeah. And then have humans, I think the other point there that you brought up too, is have humans validate whether the inventory is actually there before you even stage it. That's actually a lot more human work probably required than typically through the processes because of just the degree of out of stocks and unpredicted volume that's happening and making making the systems link up. Okay. On that point, yeah. how uh, on that point ac- across the spectrum of the retailers, that you, grocers that you work with, how many of them are still running their actual in-store operations? Like, how many of them have customers actually shopping in them versus have gone strictly to a digital model versus, say, a curbside or pickup only model?
1: Uh, all of them are continuing them. to operate in store. Yeah,
0: yeah. We okay. don't have a retailer yet that said we're just
1: going to focus purely on digital. We have had some discuss the idea. Of shutting specific stores down, okay. uh, similar to the announcement from Kroger to yep. make uh, stores that were not previously planned to be e-commerce fulfillment centers to to make that move quickly. So, I mean, that gives you some context. I mean, there's definitely some emergency planning being done.
0: That's that's why I was asking actually because we're going to talk about that on our Fast Five uh, this sure. week about the Kroger pickup only store. I mean, do you would you if you had to guess right now if you were to kind of just make a prediction. Do you think you'll see more people doing that or do you think you're going to hold you do
1: a hundred percent? I mean, 100%. I, okay. I think so my view of what's happening now is unchanged from before. It's just, everything is acceler- accelerating at a speed we never would have imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to an advisor of ours yesterday that said, um, Yeah, I think he had read a report from IRI or something saying, you know, basically everything's accelerated like six or seven years in terms of how we're thinking about things in a matter of three weeks. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. And we were already moving in this direction, just kind of doing it at a snail's pace. And so I think the silver lining for the industry is this kind of needed to happen. Um, And it's unfortunate that this is the event that's pushing that. Um, But it could be a good thing in the end, because I think it's forcing retailers to more rapidly meet consumer demands.
0: Yeah, it's funny, I'm actually writing that about Starbucks right now, but I think the analogy is the same, literally right before we got on this call, but I think think the analogy is the same. I think it's interesting too, that's why I always love talking to you Jeremy too, because we start getting this dialogue that that I think for me is just inherently interesting, but like, um, you know, the point I think about there is too, is like, going to a pickup only store, you know, you've got the operate, you said labor is going to be a problem, right? Labor is going to be a choke point. So if you can you know, figure out how to keep that labor at all in one spot, doing the same thing, they hopefully can get more efficient. And then I got to think too, right? Like it's actually safer. It's safer for the employees yeah. um, without having customers coming in there. Um, so we it, talked about that in the beginning. Oh, you, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that is an, actually, that reminds me of
1: another angle of trying to shop overnight. So most retailers are shortening their hours. Woodman's being an example of that. They're shutting down at 10 p.m. Previously, they were open 24 hours. That does give us the opportunity to try to get out ahead of things where we can shop more efficiently now in the evening because there's no in-store customer traffic to compete with. And to your point, probably most importantly, it's more comfortable for the staff because it's, it's decreasing their risk.
0: Yeah. What types of things are you doing on that front then to ameliorate the fears of your own staff, like during this period of time? And I, I, you know, that's it's gotta be a challenge.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, naturally there's only so much you can do, um, but we're trying to, you know, do things like supply gloves and, um, you know, ensure that, you know, best hygiene practices are being exercised common areas are being wiped down more frequently than they were previously. Um everyone's trying to get a hold of masks, um, as are we um to be able to provide that to staff and okay um you know I mean measures like that that I think most are trying to take we're obviously taking very seriously as well. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Jeremy, I have another question from our audience. Um one Seth Werner has is Are you seeing any retailers starting to pull back on supporter or orders from smaller firms? uh, favoring larger, more stable firms with the idea that mm-hmm. retailers aren't sure who will make it through the crisis and don't want to risk exposure from firms that might not be around in the next six months.
1: Interesting question. So is that, you think that that's geared towards like third party technology providers like grocery key? Do we have any sense of that? How do you guys interpret that question?
0: Uh, uh Seth, feel free to clarify, but I, I was assuming it was more on the brand side in terms of, is it where they're taking what the products goods, are being goods from? Yeah. Like, yeah what products yeah. are being... Uh, purchased and ordered sure
1: sure so admittedly not an area i have a a ton of insight on but i can only imagine that retailers are um, placing more emphasis on supply chain and product availability and so i do think that that's going to favor not necessarily
0: larger companies but companies that are better prepared from a supply chain perspective Is the category mix shifting at all, uh, Jeremy, too? We didn't talk about this in the beginning, but are you seeing more, like, is there a decided push towards dry goods than there are, say, in the typical grocery orders as well? So even though Uh, you have an increase in, you know, orders and volume, it's actually decidedly different than it was in the past? For sure. Naturally, you know, customers are trying to stock
1: up. And so you're seeing, it's almost like flipping where we were before. Um, it's, It's becoming the opposite, like a move away from fresh product and more more demand for um you know dry shelf stable goods um so folks can you know kind of have a a war chest of snacks at home
0: <laughs> right 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 and yeah and that's always that's interesting because that's actually easier to fulfill too so then the question becomes how does that play out over time as people get used to this what do you see on the demographic side i know that's a question from the chat group are are you able to see are you able to ascertain anything there i've seen some i think some reports now too that generationally you know, this is pushing the adoption curve a lot faster. Are you able to validate any of that in terms of, you know, say the older generations now adapting kind of these digital tools? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think in many ways, um, there was already
1: a very broad cross section of, uh, you know, customers using the service. I think people are always kind of surprised to hear that assuming that like this was only millennial driven, which is just, it um, objectively wasn't accurate prior to COVID. Um, but I do think this is accelerating demand among, you know, the higher risk demographics, which, you know, all the data suggests, you know, is 60 plus. Um, and so, you know, the, the 60 plus crowd that may have been apprehensive to go digital before. And now in many cases is, you know, is having to just to look out for their own safety.
0: It's definitely happening. Okay. Yeah. Are you having to do anything else with say complementary services? I know HEB is, created a phone line to process orders have have you had to work on anything like of that nature at this point in time
1: um you know definitely need to be concerned around customer service messaging um you know there are common threads that you start to see where you can develop um you know scripted responses because you Mm -hmm. see the same thing over and over again you know why can't i get a slot in three days you know obviously it's a pretty common question that we're seeing um so yeah definitely having to to rethink some customer service best practices and, um, you know, th- th- things of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm. Got it. What's it been like, what's it been like trying to do this while we're all shelter in place? I'm curious that that's a whole added dynamic to everything that you're trying to triage that I had not thought about until just asking you this question. What, what complexities has that added to, to the last few weeks? Quite a bit.
1: Um, okay, and how we so? are, um, yeah I mean it's just it's it's dealing with chaos in a remote manner and you know kind of relying on anecdotal information in some cases um that you have to make you know you know really educated guesses on on the fly um, that's always challenging, sure um, but w- you know one of the benefits we do have of the way in which we operate is i mean we have several hundred staff in the stores, so that anecdotal information can be very powerful and you can start mm-hmm. to see common threads and um, areas where you need to take action pretty quickly, um, even in a remote context. And frankly, that is, that's something we're kind of used to. So that, right. you know, that, that type of communication existed well before COVID for us, that, that almost is standard operating procedure for us in many ways. Yeah. So you guys were kind of prepared for that. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. So, and we're, you know, we're a remote company, you know, we're, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have staff across the globe. And so, um, the work from home piece is, uh, not too big of a challenge. I mean, look at how comfortable I am in my lazy boy right now. You look, this you isn't look my, pretty comfortable. This isn't my yeah. First time
0: no, that. yeah. You're, you're rocking out, literally. <laughs>
2: uh, Jeremy, that brings up another question from Graham Thickens who's asking, what is the biggest challenge that you guys at Grocer Key face right now in light of all of this?
1: It's definitely labor. Um, labor? It, all, it all comes down to labor because we need to be very sensitive to the safety of our staff. Um, we, we need to be sensitive to the fact that they're dealing with. Um, you know, extreme demand, having to work in many cases harder than they ever have had to in the past, but that also spills in over into the customer experience because we can't fulfill more orders without, you know, more staff in in current state. So um, I, I think it all boils down to the labor challenges as a result of what's going on here.
0: Maybe we close maybe close with that, like and then we can answer just open the floor up to any residual questions. like what is what is your one piece of advice to any retailer that's listening to this nationally to try to get ahead of the labor situation or possible impact that we could see? like what are what are one or two three one, two, three things maybe you would tell them, go out and do this right now.
1: Um, so I think I've read a few announcements around partnerships. With okay. large corporations from other industries. I think that's pretty brilliant. Um, I think are, every. Are you talking major- like the
2: Uber, like taking Amazon or Uber Lyft going to Amazon type of partnerships or what examples are those, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, so I, I've seen like Cisco lending okay. a helping hand to grocers, you know, because a lot of their staff is out of work. Um, th- that's one example I've read, but I know that there's been others, okay. um, you know, partnering with local restaurants um you know that have shut down entirely Mm -hmm. um but have staff with you know kind of the ideal skill set more service oriented positions um staff that are used to working um you know for hourly pay and you know comfortable maybe taking on um you know more than 40 hours a week working overtime Mm -hmm. um i mean i think that's a huge one um and we're kind of sorting through that uh to the best of our ability but we're obviously just the facilitator um but if i was a retailer i would definitely be doing that um I think this is, you know, probably the best time there will ever be to really double down on showing staff that you value them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what better time to do that? And I think that there, um, you know, there's real value um, in providing, you know, maybe um, expanded bonus options. Um, you know, uh, extending leave for those that are higher risk. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that will build long-term loyalty, and frankly, it's just the right thing to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> just on a on a human level. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I think managing expectations on the customer side, Uh, just making sure that if you can't fulfill demand, that it's very clear to the customer what's going on, you know, and it could be as straightforward as just having the right messaging in place when the customer, you know, visits the e-commerce experience. Uh,
0: That's 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 an interesting point too. Like how do you get into a transparent dialogue as your local grocer with the community, similar to how the governors do and, you know, the politicians do because we probably couldn't, we might we might need that at
1: some point yeah just be just being human and i mean the reality is the the most sophisticated supply chain oriented company in the world amazon they're fumbling right now i right. mean <laughs> i've gone to their site the last 3 days and you can't you can't get a slot period for delivery let alone you know 2 weeks out
0: well yeah to I your porter <laughs> Yeah, to your point, like, you know, they they can't necessarily get to the local news networks, like say, you know, here in Minneapolis, like a Lunds or a Barley's could, where they could, Lunds and Barley's or somebody like that could be having a very transparent conversation every day about what this is, what they can expect, try to keep the peace, stay calm. Amazon's not going to have that capability. Hmm.
2: Mm That brings. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy.
1: I was just gonna say, I think that's actually an opportunity for a lot of, yeah, you know, regional and independent chains. I actually think they have a leg up on Amazon in many ways. Um, you know, this is the opportunity to fulfill demand and earn really, really loyal customers. Um, easier said than done, but if Amazon's dropping the ball in that regard, what better time to, you know, to earn some
0: customer loyalty? Yeah, you're right. They, any one of them could be the go-to grocery, establish themselves as the go-to authority at this period of time. And that'll stay with them. Yeah, it's a great point. Hopefully we'll That's see right. that. I, I feel like it's still slow. I think we need to course. get there. Of course. Yeah, It's only been three weeks, right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: We have a good question from Tom Kuhn on that, uh, on that same vein. Uh, he says he lives in a town about of about 5,000 people. They have a Walmart and a local family-owned grocery store. The Walmart doesn't have a buy online pickup in store or curbside yet, but the local grocer quickly set up an email system for customers to submit orders that they can pick up without having to go into the store. And Tom's asking how you, uh, Jeremy, and Grocer Key are approaching the mom and pop segment beyond just digital. What are some, some critical ways that these smaller operations can survive and even emerge stronger after this?
1: Yeah, so interestingly, that's been a big point of emphasis for us this week. I mean, historically, we've been better positioned, or you know, I should say maybe strategically positioned, to try to work with larger independents and regionals, um, and less so the the mom and pops or you know, maybe the one to ten store chains. Mm-hmm. But there's a surge in demand from those types of retailers, and you know, obviously there's a, there's a big need. Um, so what we're trying to do is work through partners and really strip down our implementation cycle so that we could onboard a retailer in a matter of you know a week or two rather than a couple of months so that they can really take advantage of this immediate demand. And to that end, um, there's actually a retailer um, who signed a contract with us like 48 hours ago and their that. site wow. has already stood up. Um, wow. And now we just need to make sure that they're prepared to start you know fulfilling orders appropriately through our back end technology and store. So that's something we never wow. would have considered three weeks ago. Um, wow, you guys not- are super busy. Yeah. Yeah, It's, I mean, it it truly is, um, it's chaos, but it's, it, the implications from a business standpoint are obviously very positive for us. And, you know, it's a time where we can be there for prospective retailers in a, you know, extraordinary time of need. So we're trying to obviously take advantage of that and be helpful in any way we can and trying to innovate on the fly ourselves.
0: How do you do that when you can't travel? Like, so it sounds like it's good news that there's still intake on the business side too. How do you, sure. how do you, how do you manage all that when it's, you can't be face to face?
1: Um, so I think that that's largely, you know, consistent with where we were at before. Okay. Um, I mean, most wasn't of the required. engagement. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we're dealing with now is stripping down um, the technology implementation. So there's no inherent, um, there's really no inherent benefit to us being able to Hunker down in the office together. And in fact, in some ways, there might even be greater focus. it, it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Less cooler sense. talk and, and more focused on what needs to get done, perhaps. we, We don't right. know for sure, but perhaps.
0: Right. Less activity, more accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Another another uh, listener question from Dana Rondo. She wants to know, um, back to transparency, what you're talking about. When you place an order for pickup on a Monday and the first available time slot is for the following Sunday, which is actually really good, Dana, I think, compared <laughs> to some of the ones that I've seen and that I've talked to Zach and Aaron about uh, in the past, it sounds like uh, how does that work behind the scenes from an inventory management standpoint, Jeremy? Are we crossing our fingers and hoping that things will be available or, how accurate can grocers really be in that case as to how many things are going to be available and in stock in two weeks or a week? Sure. That timeline might
1: be. So, there's multiple angles to that. One is, you know, we as a technology company can only be as strong as the data that's provided to us by the retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the unfortunate reality is, most retailers, grocery retailers, I should say, in the US do not have real time inventory management. Um, So there is an element of making the best educated guess. Um, You know, we've been trying to solve for that industry-wide problem in a variety of ways, uh, you know, even prior to COVID. But I would, you know, I would just say that obviously the importance has only been elevated as a result of what's gone on the last three weeks. But we try to provide what we call proactive and reactive measures to out-of-stocks. So, you know, basically... Um, On the front end, the customer can select their own preferred substitutes if the original item they ordered is not in stock. And we try to equip the customer with, you know, data such that it's very easy. It's, you know, um, it's pretty frictionless to select those subs. Um, And then we equip that same data to the personal shoppers so that they they can make good decisions on the fly without any subjectivity. So that's what we're doing to try to better assist the grocers. And I'm sure this event will, um, you know, kind of force grocers to, you know, be a little bit um, more sophisticated around their inventory management best practices.
2: Jeremy, I have a question for you. As you look at what's transpired over the last three weeks, and you think about, you know, all, all of the technology that's been available, you said uh, previously, like, we're accelerate where grocery should be in six or seven years when this is all said and done. Seth Werner also has a question here um, along the same line. But He's wondering if things like takeoff technologies, um, out of inventory uh, tracking, kind of software platforms. What mm. what do what does the the post COVID grocery store look like in your eyes? What yeah. are the elements that are there? What do you think grocers are really looking at now? And they're like, this has got to be in here. Um, we we've we need this to survive. What is what does that picture look like?
1: Yeah. So I just go back to the comment around, I think a lot of the same things are going to occur. They're just going to occur way faster. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think about, um, you know, there's a great inventory management company, um, you know, by the name of Itasca retail, who we've formed a little bit of a relationship with and, um, they've kind of been on fire over the last year, even prior to COVID. I think their growth only ac- accelerates because they know how to handle inventory management in the context of, of a grocery chain. Um, and then, yeah, I think the, the takeoffs of the world, you know, Domatic, auto store, um, you know, uh, uh, fabric, all these micro fulfillment providers, they're going to see more opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been of the belief that um, it's not a black or white, Answer: There, there's going to be retailers that have to do some level of both micro automated micro fulfillment and in-store fulfillment, Hmm. Um, because micro fulfillment does not make sense under any circumstances in every geography and in every store. It's there are environments where it where it inherently makes sense and environments where it inherently does not. Um, From my perspective, I know Mm -hmm. that that's that's a you know kind of a subjective thought, but um, so my view is those things will absolutely accelerate. Um, and they'll accelerate at a clip that, you know, is probably in order of magnitude greater than what we were seeing prior to three weeks
2: ago. Coming out of this, is there like, if you, if you were to look at, like, say we'll use Woodman's as an example, what, what do you think that they'll be prioritizing or what, how are they, they determining what the like level of priority they're giving to each of those technology technologies are right now?
1: Um, So, I mean, there is an element of speculating. I obviously don't know everything that they're doing. Um, I know what they're doing as it pertains to their relationship with us. But I think, um, I mean, all the things we're talking about will receive greater priority, um, just in terms of how we're handling out of stocks, what data we're equipping, both the customer and the personal shopper fulfilling that order, um, where we're drawing the line, um, because it is a kind of a strategic question of to what degree do you want to rely on the customer's preferences, mm-hmm. um, versus just, you know, the, the reality of what's on the shelf at any given time. Um, how much do you want to rely on, you know, kind of the, the knowledge of that personal shopper, right. um, you know, making subjective decisions for every retailer it's going to look a little bit different, but, um, I think there'll just be greater emphasis on how, how we're dealing in stocks and, you know reacting to out of stocks.
0: Yeah, um, that's good advice, though. So yeah, if you're if you're investing, the the algorithmic space for inventory <laughs> management software in groceries is going to be hot or yeah. hotter than it was, and probably micro fulfillment to get yeah. you more efficient in your picking and packing closer from last mile is going to still be hot too. Anything yeah. else? Anything else we left off that list? Um,
1: I think product attributes, um, hmm. better data um, around products, which hmm. you know, better informs. So product data um, management, makes, yeah, product data management, and then personalizing that on the customer level, mm-hmm. um, so you know the most suitable substitute for an individual customer based on their preferences and their historical, um, you know, purchase history, um, th- things like that. And again, I mean, these are all things I would probably answered it the same way three weeks ago. I just think there's going to have to be much, much faster growth in these areas now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's just, like, it's, yeah, it's like going to accelerate, x fold. Who knows how much? Yeah, yeah. For sure and any other questions any remaining qu- questions from the group
2: i think we've covered all the questions that we have on our side if anyone else uh who joined in late has a question you can type it in the chat box and we can ask jeremy in the final minutes that we have here
0: so jeremy let's while we're getting the final questions here uh what's what's how's home life changed uh what's the how's that been different in the three weeks since covid um, How are you unwinding
1: Yeah. So, you know, we have, uh, we have three kids, two that were previously in school that are not now Um, and they are active and, and uh, definitely um, making good use of each room that we have in our home. Um, And so, but, you know, I I think we're all in the same boat. So, so to a certain degree um, I don't think it's really changed anything. I mean, I think everyone knows it's, it's chaotic for all of us. And so, you know, if there's an occasional baby crying in the background or a kid runs into middle of a conference call, you know, you get them integrated the best you can into that call and uh, you you roll on from there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mine just screamed in the background, right. As you said that. So I don't know if everyone (laughs) could hear that, but they did. Um,
2: So that's awesome. We have one last question from from Dana uh, Rondo. She wants to know if digital orders are originating, originating more from uh, apps or web-based orders. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So um, we've historically seen roughly a 50, 50 split on that. Um, and I haven't, haven't noticed any major change as a result of COVID, um, on that front. And that might speak more to, um, you know, just kind of the specifics of the ordering experience within grocery, where you have people, you know, placing, you know, orders with 30 to 50 items. Um, so desktop being, you know, kind of a suitable solution, regardless of like, you know, whether you're at work or at home. That's
2: great.
0: Uh, That makes a ton of sense.
2: Jeremy, I have one more question for you because I've already done this with your brother, Zach. But if we have people that are on the line right now who um, know somebody that's looking for a position or that might be suited for one of these positions uh, in one of the stores that you guys are working with, where should they look? Um, if they don't have a partnership, if you haven't established a partnership or the grocer hasn't established a partnership, where's a good spot to be looking for open opportunities that grocer Key might have?
1: Um, well, I mean, it could, it could be as simple as sending an email to us directly, um, contact at realsterp.com, um, okay. offhand, um, with, yeah, the, the region you're in and, um, any, any relevant information you would typically submit for, uh, for an open job position.
2: Awesome. Great. I think Perfect. that's all that we have. Awesome. Thank you
1: guys so much for having me. This was fun.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for being here again for everyone listening and for everyone uh that hopefully will be viewing this later. Again, this is Jeremy Naren, the CEO of Grocery Key. And we we're talking about basically what's all transpired in the grocery business over the last three weeks. On behalf of Ann, on behalf of Jeremy, on behalf of everyone in the audience too, we say it every week. It's never more important than it is right now. Be careful out there.
2: Jeremy, we have one more question that came in oh, that I'd minute. be remiss if I didn't ask. Uh, sure. Seth Seth Werner wants to know, given what you know about what is out of stock, if uh, someone were a food entrepreneur, what product would you start making now? I love this question.
1: Oh, man, that's a really good one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean the the obvious one which I guess has already been done and maybe is for that reason a bad answer is you know hand sanitizer okay you know there's all kinds of companies that have shifted gears into (laughs) starting to to manufacture hand sanitizer um yeah I mean it's it's so obvious but if it's it's not that probably toilet paper
2: yeah that they did call that is a qualifier they said not toilet paper etc they said
1: oh they said not toilet paper is it
2: cauliflower crust pizza or uh any any other like CPG item
1: i'll tell you one i've picked up and uh, i guess i'm not really answering the question here but like uh rice alternatives because you know that's another thing like people are you know stocking up on all these big bags of rice worried that they're not going to have food a month from now um so i started eating right rice which is like a uh, an alternative that's actually really I'm delicious sorry, what <laughs> it's called right rice right I'm, i was rice. not paid by them
0: either for what this, exactly uh, is for this in inc- right rice <laughs> sure. not um, dangerous areas with that name but that's
1: okay i'm gonna have to get back to you on the ingredients but it's considered like a lower carb healthier version of rice mm-hmm. but it's actually Sounds really delicious. delicious is it um, yeah, so if you are the CEO of Right Rice, please re- reach out to me <laughs> and cut me my check that I'm rightfully owed for this promo. Um, it's actually really good. Yeah, that's, <sighs> that's so anyhow, I don't think I answered that question at all, but uh, you know, maybe something that's like very shelf stable that could be, you know, you could sell in bulk um, that would allow someone to, you know, ensure that they have, you know, a months worth of food in the basement along the lines of rice.
2: Um, now we're getting into like the, uh, the like blooper clips, the real for the last couple minutes that we have, but it's starting to feel that way. Yeah. Dylan Mueller wants to know, do you recommend everyone just begin intermittent fasting due to the inventory concerns with food? Oh,
1: Dylan, come on. You know, my stance <laughs> on that one. Um, absolutely.
2: Green drink, just green drink for everybody. Are you getting <laughs> exactly. your green drink?
1: Yes. I'm doing my daily athletic okay. greens and I'm still doing my Good. 18 to 20 hours of intermittent fasting. Love it. Um, so that, that is that is being maintained throughout this COVID experience
0: good for you man yeah. i do have one thing on the toilet paper thing that i got to bring up for seth is like why is toilet paper the shape and size that it is just think about that for a second wow you know i've never has anyone ever well, thought about why that?
2: is jeremy supposed to have knowledge on this i don't
0: know Well, he's talking about different types of rice well let's go let's iterate on this toilet is paper. Um, when was this last is time very somebody
1: iterated on that this is very seinfeld esque, and exactly. that's a good thing
0: Exactly. Yeah, people can pretty much drop off at this point. That might have been a mic drop. Yeah.
1: That might have been a mic dropper. Awesome. Well,
0: is this hey, something,
1: no, I have to ask though, Chris, is this something you're genuinely
0: intrigued by? No, I genuinely thought about that three days ago. And then Shower you just thoughts. started yeah. talking about that. And I was like, yeah, like, why is this? You know, like, you know, because, and the reason it came up was, I don't know if you saw that video where the guy did like, You need this many squares for the average, like, you know, thing. And like, so then I was like, well, you know, do you like, why can't, why can't it be wider? Why can't it be longer? Like, you know, how does that work? Like, I don't understand why the role is the role other than that. Every house in the world is designed that way.
1: This is starting to feel like an Ali G business pitch. Yeah. (laughs) For those that have not seen that, look that one up right when we hang up there.
0: Exactly. Uh, it's funny, Renee's laughing too. Um, yes. but hey, for everyone on, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we could probably keep rolling on this all day. Was uh, that a pun? it's yeah.
1: so
2: obviously We're not intentionally bad dad that. joke. <laughs> oh oh man
1: God.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's, we'll wipe the slate clean and we'll start again next week. And uh, hopefully we're going to actually try to experiment with this with the fast five to uh, uh, at some point. So hopefully this, this was our first foray into zoom. So thanks for sticking with us Anna and I are just kind of learning the intricacies of it all. Jeremy, thanks for being a Thanks for having us, too, trying to do that. We appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll continue to bring you guys as much good content as we can. uh, And if you guys have
2: any questions or follow up after this, info at thirdhouse.com and we'll get uh, your questions answered. Thanks again, guys.
0: Thanks. Super helpful, Jeremy. Learned a lot. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Bye, everybody.